another episode of God Built This Podcast, Podmas Edition. I am your host, Maxine, and we're on episode 10. On the 10th day of Christmas. Let's get into these topics. So, J-Lo is described as a mean girl. A mean girl. Um, now, it's alleged. I'm not sure if it's a true story or true experience, but there's a, a viral sensation of so many people with the same experiences of JLo being just a plain B-I-T-C-H. Apparently, she has this expect, not even expectation, a mandate for her drivers to not turn around <laughs> when they're driving her, um, to not look at the rear view wi- a mirror because that means that they're looking at her in her perspective. She doesn't want anyone looking at her. She doesn't want anyone at all talking to her. And she is not much of a tipper. So apparently there was a moment when Ben Affleck, her current husband and an actor, we all know who Ben Affleck is, Batman, um, but he gave a $100 tip to a waiter and she ended up saying, no, 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 no give it back and she gave the waiter just five dollars now this could very well all be a lie you know sometimes with online stuff people just jump on the bandwagon and act like what they're saying is the bible you know and it's hard to really determine if it's true or not there is and there has been a rumor of j-lo being this b-i-t-c-h and who knows if any of that is true, but what I have heard over the years is that you never want to meet your celebrity, right? Like, what I mean by that is, like, you don't want to meet the celebrity who you've idolized, who you've really revered, and, you know, because typically when you meet them, they are totally not what you have expected. They're off their rocker they're rude they're dismissive they don't care about the worship and idolization that you've given them along the years and you know Ellen DeGeneres is a great example of that she has demonstrated herself to be this this kind she always ended her talk show with be kind or something like that and come to find out she was an awful person to work with at the very least and People around her have been mysteriously dead. Her ex-girlfriend, Anne Heche, who was a straight woman before she dated Ellen. And ever since she dated her, her career has just spiraled in a negative way. While Ellen DeGeneres' career has transcended to a point of just superstardom. And, you know, just last, a couple of months ago, actually, Anne Heche mysteriously died. And prior to her death, she was found online or caught on surveillance, just acting erratic, very cuckoo, and just off. So you have these celebrities who present this particular picture of being nice, being kind, being charitable. But come to find out, they're real life B I T C H's. Um, 
Gabrielle Union is another example. She admitted herself, though. So that is a, a clear case that is actual factual. She admitted that she is a mean girl, <laughs> that she is someone who really thrived off of being a B-I-T-C-H. And she was a hater amongst many other females in the industry. And she had to come to terms with that and realize that she needed to change. She realized that her being a bully was really because she felt insecure. So she talked about it in an interview like years ago and was very honest and transparent about that. And I really commended her for sharing that. But it actually made sense because the roles that she picked up along the years in her career, she was this B-I-T-C-H character. She played it so well. And I do find it a little strange and a bit fascinating when actors play their characters so well to the point that, dang, are you really this B-I-T-C-H? Like, are you really this person? Are you really this character? Like, I don't know. Um, I guess it, it shows how well you are of an actor, of a thespian. But it also makes me worry that this is really your character, literally. Um, but yeah, so JLo's a mean girl. There's a video of JLo, Jennifer Lopez, but in case whoever's listening may not know who I'm talking about. It's Jennifer Lopez. Um, she is walking in her old childhood neighborhood back in Southside Bronx, right? That's what she, yeah, she always talked about Southside Bronx and her records. She said, so she's walking along her neighborhood, her childhood ho- neighborhood, and she comes across a childhood home, and there's this guy who's a current resident in her home, this older gentleman who is just like, you know, an older man who's not really checking for what's going on in, in the media, the latest artists, or I guess maybe you would think that he would know J-Lo because everyone knows J-Lo. Like, I feel like... The elders in my community know J-Lo, but this nigga didn't know J-Lo. And he looked like, I think he was Puerto Rican himself or just Hispanic at the very least. Who knows if he's Salvadorian or whatever it is, but he was definitely Hispanic. So she's saying to him, because he's outside on his porch in his current residence, despite it being the old childhood home of J-Lo, this is his current place. So she's telling him, this is where I this is where I lived growing up when I was a child. He's like, huh? Who? I, Jennifer. Hi, I'm Jennifer. This is where I, and she's literally introducing herself to this guy. Hi, I'm Jennifer. This is where I live. And he's like, who's Jennifer? Um, Jennifer Lopez? He's like, who's Jennifer Lopez? <laughs> and she's like, me. I'm Jennifer Lopez. It's me. It is I who is Jennifer Lopez. So that was a humbling moment, and uh, I, I laughed. I laughed at that scene. It seemed like it was genuine. There was a clip or there was a comment in the comment box on Twitter, in the, the, you know, the reply tweets saying that this was like a SNL skit. I don't think it was or something for American Idol. It looked like a genuine clip. Like, you know how you follow celebrities or, like, they have these, like, behind-the-scene moments for, like, a documentary that they have, and this is, like, one of the scenes in their documentary. It seemed like it was one of those. So I really think it was a genuine moment 
the guy, the current resident of J-Lo's childhood home, he looked like a real person, like an actual person who just didn't know what the fuck she was talking about or who she was. And it was just like, hey, you got to humble yourself, you know? Humble yourself. So, whatever. J-Lo's a mean girl, allegedly. And it is what it is. Like, I, I think, look, we have to stop putting people on these pedestals and understand that they're just good at what they do. And what they do is entertain. What they do is present themselves as a particular character. And whether they meet up to that character or continue with that avatar outside of the box that you have them in, that's on them. That's great. But that could still be a lie, right? Like maybe they're just completely disingenuous people through and through. And if you do happen to come across those people and they're actually who they portray themselves to be online, then that's great too. But honestly, half of these people, you know, they're human just like the rest of us. And they have to, they have to lie for a living. That's literally how they pay their mortgage, their, their jets, their shopping sprees or whatever it is. They have to lie for a living. And that's what they do and they do it best. So to, to get so hurt and bothered by their character is just at this point you have to realize these people are just doing their job. <laughs> they clock out as soon as you stop watching that show. And when you see them on the street, they're just a regular person who just happened to be on TV every Friday night on HBO Max, you know, whatever the case is. Speaking of HBO Max, I've been meaning to finish the Murdoch family documentary. I've been made aware of this family a while ago. I just don't know the intricate details of just who they are, how they make their money, the suspicious deaths that follow each mem well many of the members within the family i remember the last story i heard of them was the father in the family he faked his well he wanted so basically he planned out his death in order for his son to get the insurance but come to find out he ended up living and it's just like this real weird lifetime movie stuff so his, he ended up living, and he got caught up in the law because of that. So I'm not sure what's going on with the family. It's a little uh, demonic, if you ask me. But, yeah, you know, I'm tuned in. So that's on HBO Max. I started it, and I need to finish it. There's another Murdoch. I think it's still on HBO Max. There's another one, though, because I was listening to the JP, JBP, the Joe Budden podcast, and he was talking about something else of the Murdochs on HBO Max. So I'm wondering if it's the same one or if it's another one. Either way, that's some homework for me to do. Let's get into another topic here. So I came across an article. First of all, these articles I'm like seeing on Instagram. And then when you click the link to it, it, it shows that you met the allotted time to read their free articles. And in order to continue reading their articles, you have to be a subscriber. And being a subscriber is, you know, you have to pay. <laughs> However, you know, whatever tier you you select. And I'm just such a sucker for news. Like, I like to know information. I like to know what's going on. I like, I like all of that stuff. So I've just spent, like, $37 <laughs> 
counting ewes, y'all. Like, <laughs> that's how I got the cow story <laughs> last episode. <laughs> no, but I just love it because it gives you a different perspective. Um, uh, there was another news story that I came across that just really tickled me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to continue reading. And in order for me to continue reading, I have to subscribe. I have to be a subscriber. I have to do it. I have to do it. And they get a tote later on. So I should be expecting my tote in a couple of weeks. Anyway, there was um one story that really intrigued me to just go ahead and purchase uh, this, this subscription. And it was of uh, this woman who decided to take, uh, what was it? She took like a sabbatical from work. And she was living her best Tuscany life. Let's see if I can pull it up. Tuscany life uh, article. It was something. It was. Just, I think it was a black woman. Um. Oh my gosh. Anyway, I can't find it right now. But anyway, let me just go over it. So basically, she was working in media as a show writer or screenwriter, producer, stuff like that. And apparently those jobs are gig jobs, meaning that I don't think it's necessarily the full time or it's not a secure job. You know, you get the job or you have a job for as long as you have the contract for or as long as the the project is happening. So if it's a project for three months, then you have a secure job for three months, you know? And that's just very fascinating to me. I'm like, oh, okay. Like that feels unsettling. Anyway, so she was able to save up enough money to be able to afford a month or two off to go to Tuscany and really live her best life. And what I found so just beautiful about this article was she shared how she felt so anxious throughout her time there. Like she was still thinking about, oh, yeah, what led her to do it was she felt burned out and she wanted to go to Tuscany to no longer feel burned out. And though she went to Tuscany, did the whole Tuscany experience, met different elders there and um, really immerse herself in the culture, she was still hanging on to this anxiety and to this just this feeling of being burnt out and feeling overwhelmed. Like there was nothing, like there was no trip that solved it for her. Or it was very much a, of a short-term solution. And I think about how like in life we think, okay, if I just get this day off or if I just you know, get this new job. This new job will be great because it'll it'll get it'll make me, you know, I'll get more money or I'll have this type of schedule and I have that. And I think again with what I said in in a previous episode, it doesn't matter. Like I think sure those things may help. You know, maybe sure a week off in Tuscany will be a nice scenic moment for you, but when you come back or even while you're there, you're thinking about your next steps and you're thinking about, you know, let's say she still was working in the field specifically at that gig or whatever it was in the field of media. She was still, she, she still was thinking about the next steps for her to do. She still was very much focused and stressed and worried about work. 
And I think we're just so we're so fo- we're so forced to believe in this culture that work is our identity. That if we don't have it all together, if we don't know what we're doing career-wise, if we don't have this amount in our account, then our worth is pretty is pretty impacted in a negative way. And I just, I don't know. I just, I don't know what, what to say about that. I, I just made that observation. So I don't really have an inspirational note. <laughs> I mean, I think though, what I can say is really about a mindset thing, right? Like if you change your mindset, if you are active in that, in being intentional about how your thoughts are either going to help you or hurt you, then sure. But I don't know, child. Life is hard. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I think, I don't know. I, I think we have these, like, short-term solutions, and it's good for a week, you know, or oh, I'm going to take three months off, or oh, I'm going to retire. And then even in retirement, I see people in retirement, and they're just bored out of their minds. They don't have anything going on for themselves. They feel very um, fruitless, you know. And a lot of times when men are retired, they retire much later, in life or they finally get around to it and if they don't retire later they retire at an age where it just makes sense health wise all these things and I feel like they lack that element of what makes them a man it seems like it seems like there's this fear of letting go of this notion of if you don't work then what are you doing You know, like we haven't normalized not doing anything without shaming people for not doing anything. There's there's someone who I work with who I guess is like another mentor, another black woman mentor for me. I guess. Oh, look at that. (laughs) Look how God works. I I feel like I've been yearning for like a black um, female mentor in my life. But I never vocalized that in a way that was obvious. Like, I never, I don't really go outright and say it. Like, I feel like people just have to show up like that in my life. Just show up and then we'll see if we mesh. And the mentor that I talked about in a previous episode, she just shows up, you know, and she's just been, you know, what I like about people is, or, you know, some relationships in my life some relationships in my life, I feel like if you're able to calm me, if you're really able to, like, help me not, like, jump off a cliff, metaphorically, then you're you're all right with me, you know, at the very least. And I think with those two women in my life in particular, they are very much that that calming force in my life when it comes to me wanting or me realizing what I – been wanting which was a female figure in my life who was just there to help calm me and you know I have some women in my life who prior to them would kind of make me feel more anxious would make me feel more at um not at ease more disheveled and just like I don't know like I don't know there's some people I just feel like I can't really be as vulnerable with because the fear of being judged because it's happened historically with that person it is so much in the forefront that I have to 
I have to be intentional with with what I say and careful with what I say because I never want to come off or I never want to say too much for them to feel like, oh, boom, here's an opportunity to judge you. Here's an opportunity to make you feel foolish for this decision. And the two mentors I have, the two black female mentors I have in my life. And we're back. Fun fact, the battery on my portable recorder died. So I just came back from CVS because I needed double A batteries and there wasn't any here. So um, I listened back to like a few seconds of what I said, something about something about female mentors, something about that shit. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll just wrap it up with that part, how yeah, I'm just super grateful for the relationships in my life and realizing that, you know, I didn't necessarily vocalize what I have been wanting and it just still manifested itself the way that it needed to so I'm grateful for that I want to get into this topic though about this group of Brooklyn teens who decided to discard their smartphones and trade it in for flip phones like back in the day flip phones that we all know that we all started with you know at least for me I, I when I was growing up and like obviously people older than me as well know that smartphones wasn't always a thing um before it was Motorola it was the Blackberry it was the Sidekick those phones were the phones to have and it was less social media on you know on there or accessible at least at that time and what I appreciated about that time was there wasn't this online comparison game that some some of us find ourselves doing because of what's happening on our algorithm, what's happening on the feed, and feeling like we have to um, just one up the next person we see on a travel, you know, on vacation, who has the next promotion, who has the next highlight. You know, everything is all in your face when it's online, when it's on Instagram, when it's on Twitter, you know, these platforms that really just romanticize our lives and it really just showcase our highlights. So it's pretty uh, fascinating to see that, wow, this young group of people, I guess they're Gen X or Gen, no, I think they're Gen Z. These young group of folks decided to really take an initiative and take a step back away from social media and their phones were the major step that they took you know it's so easy to just go on your phone and go online and see the latest fashion see the latest makeup see the latest whatever it is and still feel like you're inadequate so um, these Brook, these Brooklyn teens are promoting a lifestyle of self-liberation from social media and technology. This was founded last year by Edward R. Murrow High School, a student named Logan Lane, who is the, the leader of a, a particular club at her school. And this club represents the 18th century. And I guess she's just really tapped into life during the 18th century. So I was like, okay, girl, um, do you want to be a slave owner or not? So anyway, so she says, 
quote, I became completely consumed, she said, and quote, all of us have bonded over this unique cause to be in the Luddite club. There's a level of being a misfit to it. So, you know, I think it's a beautiful cause. You know, it's a bunch of white, white folks being white. And this is for good reason. <laughs> she said she noticed an uptick or I guess it's a downtick in mental health and realizing that it has a lot to do with smartphones. So she decided to take this initiative and be a positive influence amongst her peers. And, you know, do I see myself going back to flip phones? I don't know. I don't know. Apple products have me in a headlock. I don't know. It's something about the blue and white screen. (laughs) You know... I don't know. We'll see where life takes me. But I I do recognize that social media is, you know, can be addictive. And you may find yourself mindlessly scrolling and next thing you know, you're feeling sad or you're feeling confused, you're feeling underwhelmed, you're feeling overwhelmed, and you have to really be present with your emotion and check that. Check that emotion because it may trigger something that you probably was fine with, but all of a sudden you're seeing the 10th social media account living their quote-unquote best life. When honestly, half these people, if not all, are lying. Everybody's a liar. Everybody is a liar. Like, I'm not even exaggerating with what I'm saying. Everybody's lying about something, you know, especially online. You know, not everyone who's on these trips going to fucking Tuscany is happy. (laughs) Like, you know, they may be on the trip, but they may be vacation broke or vacation poor, right? They're not able to afford anything else while on the trip. They have to be very economical about it. And, hey, that may be your jazz, but, you know, that may be a little bit of a stressor for me. You know, I, I would hate to go on vacation and feel like I am restricted to just a resort or just my hotel room that is you know that's something that people don't show you know people just show the passports and the plane ticket and how the room looks but it's like okay while you're in the room though you can only eat but so much and you better not order room service you know you have all these things and so child I don't know and I, I can't you know, I, I come on, come on. I commend this movement. I really do. I think there is a movement also to push forth a push push forth more of an authentic point of view online. Like there are some accounts that I follow or that I watch on YouTube that come across more authentic and vulnerable. Like they're not flashy. They're not all these things. And I do appreciate that. You know, I I follow more white YouTubers than black ones. Like, I can't even tell you one, there's, there's one person of color. No, there's two person people of color who I follow on YouTube who I watch their videos pretty regularly. But, you know, it's for a number of reasons. I noticed that when I watch or when I used to watch black female YouTubers, I would just see the same thing. 
And it just didn't resonate with me. And the same thing that I saw was this push to demonstrate this luxurious lifestyle. I'm so luxurious. Look at my Chanel bag. Look at my lace front. Look at the false eyelashes I'm getting. And I just don't relate. I don't relate. That's not me. Like, I don't like fake eyelashes. I don't like wigs. You know, I don't like to wear them myself. I don't like to wear these. Like, even when I have worn fake eyelashes, it just never looked right. I'm like, damn, what am I doing wrong? And then when I would get it professionally done once or twice or by a friend of mine who happens to be a makeup artist, I just feel like it just doesn't look right on me. And it may be my perception, but I just ultimately just don't think those those things work well with me. So when I see a majority of the black female YouTubers show just that side only, like I don't see anything else about them. I just see this 32-inch weave or wig or lace front. Here's how to lay down your edges. And it's like this like stereotypical-esque hood black girl and I just don't relate I just don't relate to that so I don't really watch um black girls on YouTube damn I know it's not kind of I don't know not to sound racist I just like some things I just don't relate to and you know there are some white girls who I follow too or watch their videos and I just don't relate to some things that they do sometimes like some of the things um like many of them get Botox Many of them get fillers and like that's the white girl experience, you know, as for black girls, many of us, many of them, or I'm saying us because I'm a black girl, but I just don't do it. They, you know, get their eyelashes done like they're not just like, you know how you have those false eyelashes you can apply to your eye. No, they go to an actual like person sit in their chair and have them add particular eyelash strips or, like, singles into there. It's, like, this whole thing. And I've seen this woman who had an allergic reaction. I don't know what they did wrong or it was just her body just rejecting that. But her whole, both of her eyes got poofy. You know, stuff like that. Just, like, why are we doing this? Like, this was never a thing, like, seven years ago. But I'm noticing now there's just more of this, I need to get my lashes done, I need to get my lashes done. I just, I can't relate, and I don't want to relate. So there's that I just don't relate to, um, the Botox, the fillers, the lace fronts. You know, yeah, so the lace fronts are more of the black girl experience, while the Botox and the fillers are more of the white girl experience. The I need to get my eye I need to get my lashes done. That's more of a black girl experience. What else is a black girl experience? My edges. Well, yeah, lace front, weaves, all all that stuff. I just I can't relate. I can't relate, and it just doesn't do it for me. So yeah, many of the black girls who I see on YouTube are more of that sort, and they demonstrate this like this like luxurious look at me. I have all the latest brands, and I just, I don't know, it just feels inauthentic to me, and sure, I'm, I'm sure they do have those things, like, maybe they do, like, maybe that is true, I'm not hating on that, I just feel like, I don't really know you, like, you know, like, all I see you do is shop, or unbox your latest Chanel purse, and I just, 
can't relate. <laughs> and that's fine. Like, I'm, I'm not sad that I can't relate at all. I just, I like more of some of the white girls I follow. They don't, yeah, they do show sometimes their designer goods, but, you know, they'll crack jokes or they'll, I don't know, this is this a different aesthetic. It's a different aesthetic. Honestly, I don't know how to explain it if you don't really get it, but. Yeah, so a lot of a lot on my feed. You'll see a lot of white girls. <laughs> You'll see a lot of white girls. Um, all right, you guys. I'm gonna go ahead and end it here. Thank you so much for listening, and I will check in with you guys tomorrow. Goodbye. See you later. Arrivederci. No, how you say it? Arrivederci. Ooh, okay, whatever. Bye. <laughs>